The opinions of this podcast are my own and not necessarily the opinions of Berkshire Hathaway Home Services Ambassador Real Estate, any realtor associations, persons, or entities. If your property is currently listed with a real estate broker, please note that it is not our intention to solicit the offerings of other real estate brokers. Welcome back to this week's episode of Hunting Home. This week's guest is Dave Lawrence. He's with Edward Jones. And I thought Dave would be an excellent guest to come in, talk about finances, and in specific, talk about credit. I think that credit is often misunderstood, and people don't maybe don't have a great idea on how to build their credit or why credit is important, especially when going to buy a home. So uh, welcome into the studio, Dave. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Blake. And, uh, you know, uh, like like you said, I, I'm a financial advisor with Edward Jones, been doing this in the in Council Bluffs in our community for the last five years, however, in total for almost 15 at this point. So I have uh, seen a good, bad and ugly as far as credit has, uh, you know, is yeah. concerned. But I do, I will second that, that, you know, a lot of people, I think, also have a challenge of understanding, you know, not only how to build credit, but also how to manage that credit and how to use that for themselves moving forward. So mm-hmm. give us your requirements for a client. I like when you say this, it's, is it your three A's or how do you say that? Yeah. So three A's. First of all, you got to take my advice. You're paying me for it. I, I absolutely wouldn't encourage you to do so. The second one is be an advocate. So tell a friend or a family member, if you have a great experience, the only way that I build new clientele is by word of mouth. Mm-hmm. So certainly tell somebody. And then thirdly is assets. Now that is the one that I will tell everybody I'm willing to forgive. I will look past the assets as long as you can do the other two. And again, the assets come with time. It comes with understanding where people are at and uh, uh, comes with helping them save over that period of time and understanding what's a good way to save for them because everybody is different in their life stage cycle and so on. Yeah. I, I've always appreciated when you've said that because, you know, I think that most people, especially with a financial advisor would think that, well, the number one thing that the financial advisor is going to be concerned with is assets. And uh, I like your approach as far as advice, because if people are coming to an advisor and are not taking advice, uh, they shouldn't be there in the first place. <clears throat> Um, so yeah, I've always liked when you said that, Dave, it's catchy and I always remember it. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so what brought you into being a financial advisor? What, what's your past history? Yeah. So, um, for the better part of 10 years before I came over to Edward Jones, uh, I, uh, I started in 2008, right before the market crashed, um, with another company called Pacific Life. And I was an internal wholesaler there. Um, that's not really why, or the passion of why I started doing this. The, my, my whole reason for doing this and my quote unquote, why is, um, my father was a, um, hard labor worker his whole entire life, ran an asphalt plant here in Omaha for, the better part of 20 plus years at this point in time. And what my why to getting involved or wanting to actually get out and be a financial advisor started with that because he had a really bad experience with a financial advisor, mainly because he didn't have a lot of money. I mean, my dad was a hard labor worker and I think a lot of people can relate to that. Um, Living paycheck to paycheck, uh, you know, having four or five miles of feet is very difficult. Um, And so my, it felt like when I had conversations and I even reached out to my dad's financial advisor personally with very little response, um, I, I took it upon myself to say, you know, there's got to be somebody out there that cares more about people than what, how much dollars they have behind their name. 
And so my reason for why is because I want, I want people to understand, like, you might have more than what you actually think you have. Nobody stares at anybody else's checkbook. Nobody else gets to see what you're privy or not privy to. I have had very, very wealthy people come into my office that you probably would not expect to be that way. Mm -hmm. But it's also about building wealth. And there is a difference a lot of times in being rich and being wealthy. And I often use that with my clients and say, being rich means that you have a lot of dollars that you're bringing in, but you're not necessarily building wealth because you're not putting those dollars to work for you. I give the example, I know many people that you know, live frugally and have the $30,000 a year income and are able to save more than somebody that maybe makes a six figure or better income. Yep. Um, and that just comes down to discipline and it comes down to budgeting. Mm-hmm. And that, that all falls in line with, you know, what we're talking about here today, which is setting yourself up better for yep. credit. Yep. So let's dive into that, Dave. Um, say, you know, say I'm a, um, I'm a young, I'm a young person I haven't really had the opportunity to um, naturally build my own credit yet, um, but I, I, I know that I need to. What should I be doing? First, I would tell you that the biggest asset you have is time. So use that to your advantage, meaning it's not necessarily how much you're always putting away. It's about how long you're doing it. So I would first and foremost tell you to find a a financial advisor or somebody in that space that understands finances. Because unfortunately, we're in the day and age where it's not necessarily always taught about credit and how your finances affect that moving forward when we're going through school, unless you take specialized classes. So the first thing is, I would say, find a financial professional to, to talk to. Most financial advisors or financial professionals will meet with you, even you don't have any money, or they'll at least guide you to somebody that they would recommend. Um, The reason I would say that is because they can take a third-party objective view at what you have and truly give you advice based off of what is a necessity and what is discretionary in your income spending. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you're really going to want to be real with yourself and with that financial advisor and create a long-term budget. Those would be the first places that I would start with building your credit because those are always going to lead into how you're managing your credit later in the world as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if I say, say I'm, I've, I've done, I've made some mistakes. Sure. You know, we don't, we all do. Yep. How can I, what are some things that I could do to improve both, you know, short term and long term? you know, say, I, you know, Hey, I'm, I really, I'm looking to improve my credit. I'm looking to buy a house in the future and I need to bump my credit score up. Some, I would say maybe as fast as possible, but also the best way possible. Sure. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, sometimes with building credit, it's, it's not a quick yeah. turnaround. Yep. Sometimes it takes time. And for anybody looking to buy a house, I would highly suggest you start the process long before you ever actually step into any house. Mm-hmm. Uh, me and my wife, we went home loan shopping basically before we went home shopping. And you should. Yeah. You yep. should always have yourself kind of set up for that situation moving forward. So what, what I would basically tell you is first on the short term, get a credit score run, get a credit report, actually not a necessarily a credit score, but a credit mm-hmm. report. So you could identify and find out what's actually on that credit report. And maybe there are some discrepancies that you need to dispute. Maybe there's some things that no longer pertain to your current lifestyle that you need to get rid of, especially like we talked about. Everybody has a little bit of a past, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. 
So you need to find out step one, where you're at. And longer term or more step two or three is I would actually create a short term or a middle to longer term emergency cash fund separate from your actual savings to start putting the additional dollars, not only for a down payment potentially, but also just in case there's these weird oddball little credits, you know, skirmishes that we have come up that you need to take care of pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I would say, if you've got those two established and on and are already on the way, definitely meeting with a financial professional, meeting with a mortgage lender or a really great real estate agent like yourself and getting some referral on, okay, I've got everything set up now. Where do I go from here? Mm -hmm. This is kind of a one-off question, but and and if we get out of line here, we can always change things. But sure. how do you feel about credit cards? I, I would say they're an evil necessity, uh, unfortunately, in some cases. Mm-hmm. My preference is that most people don't carry credit card debt if they can. And that's becoming more and more of a reality for a lot of people. And the reason I would say that is because credit cards generally are not going to help you build your wealth. They're not generally going to help you in in long-term situations. However, we all know that we need to build credit some way, shape, or form, right? So getting a small credit card that you are capable of controlling and paying off with your excess or discretionary expenditures or income. Yep is a very easy way to build that credit. And that helps you fairly quickly in a lot of cases, especially if you don't have any. A lot of a lot of folks come out of high school and college and things like that, either don't have any or already probably starting off with some bad marks on there. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe college wasn't so nice to them. Yep. So I would say that, you know, credit cards, I would definitely be careful. They can get out of control very quickly. However, as long as you are not spending or overexerting yourself with your discretionary income, you're able to pay that credit card off at any given time. I think you're okay. Yeah. And as well, going back to that emergency cash plan, I recommend everybody have an emergency cash of three to six months worth of working income. Whether that is, you know, with an investment advisor and a savings account and, you know, God forbid, under a mattress. We hope not. Yes. Those are very, very important to make sure that you have before you ever kind of get into the credit world. Yeah. So what are, you know, obviously this might be obvious to some people, but what are some things that would damage your credit? Being late on just about any sort of ongoing payment, uh, whether that's your light bill or your credit card. Uh, Now, some of them report a little bit quicker than others. So keep that in mind. Your credit card bill is always going to be very, very quick in the reporting of your late or or if you had missed a payment. That also compounds the problem. You normally get charged late fees. So that only hurts your credit even more. And they do report any late payments or missed payments and that stays on your, your ongoing credit record. So it's very important to make sure you avoid those things at all costs. You know, if you have foreclosures, if you have cars, you know, that have been repossessed, things like that, they're going to ding your credit on a very high scale. So obviously those are certainly things that you would want to avoid. However, I have had situations where people have cleaned up their credit from there as well. So don't feel like you're at a loss just because you've had some of these dings. You know, I would say that's generally speaking, there's a lot of folks that are in that situation. And I have seen many, many people buckle down and rebuild a budget and get into a better graces with the credit companies so they can afford their house of their dreams or whatever it is that Mm -hmm. they want. It does take will and determination though. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the challenge is if you're coming from a bad place or, you know, a difficult place and you have some of those dings, it's like, not only do I have to change my lifestyle and the things that I'm doing, 
but I also have to make up even more for the things that I've done in the past. Right. So how long does that stuff stick with you? So generally speaking, it's, it's going to be about seven years. Okay. Unless it's, um, you know, uh, taxes owed, things like that. It, those things could stay on indefinitely. Mm-hmm. So there are certain things that can stay on for as long as, I mean, and you, as long as you're alive. Yep. And then there are most of the things have generally, you know, a seven year kind of falling off period. Mm-hmm. And if they, if it's getting past that seven years or it's been a really long time, that's where I'll go back to, hey, run your credit report, see what's on there. And then maybe some of that old stuff you can send in a dispute and say, hey, I paid this off. Can I get a better credit rating or a better, not necessarily rating, but a better look on my credit report at least? Mm-hmm. You know, because then banks, if they have an underwriter or somebody that's looking through it, it's a physical person actually looking through those things. Yep. And I think I've heard of in the past, and maybe you can help me on this, some people actually writing a letter to the underwriter explaining some of their credit defaults and things like that. Is that something that you've heard? I have heard of that. I, ha- I find that almost hard to believe. You know, just because of the world that we live in, Uh, kind of on a similar, almost a similar note is, you know, when we have in the past, we've had buyers write letters to sellers, obviously different, but, you know, we, as real estate agents, we've ran into a problem with that because of fair housing. Oh, sure. And so, you know. Oh, yeah. I haven't even thought about that. Yeah. You know, if. And I have clients all the time. It's hard because I, t- I don't want them to not do it. A lot of people feel like even if it they know it won't help them, it makes them feel better that they at least tried, sure. <clears throat> especially in this competitive market. But, you know, the issue is that most people, when they write their story to the seller of a home, they're going to convey some type of message that states, you know, we're a family um, what religion we are. You know, like the sure. example I always give to people is like, we can't wait to wake up and have our kids wake up on Christmas morning. Yeah. You know, you're sh- you're showing in sure. a sense religion. You're sh- you're saying that you have kids. Yeah. It, it, it's it's an issue and it's not one that if you get in a problem with it, it's not one that you want to be in. Right. Right. And so, and I try to t- and I always say the same thing to the sellers that I'm representing is take away any personal information that there is with these offers, especially in a multiple offer situation, and just look at the facts here. There is always a, I will say that there is always a little bit of personal touch to it. I think on the business side, you know, if I see a lender that I've worked with in the past that I know is going to do a good job, or it's going to a title company that's going to do a good job, you know, yes, there is some of that involved, Mm -hmm. but let's look at the facts. Let's look at the numbers. Let's look at the terms, what makes the most sense and not so much of the quote unquote touchy feely part of it. Just keep it business. And uh, then hopefully, you know, there's no hard feelings outside of that. That's why I have a hard time seeing somebody write, you know, a note to an underwriter and say, Hey, I screwed up uh, or whatever. And then really seeing much change. But I mean, if it if if it's worth the effort, it's certainly worth yeah, doing, you know. Absolutely. So, on a daily basis, Dave, what are you what are you dealing with the most? You know, when you have a client come in or a new a prospect come in and and want to talk to you, you know, what is your what's your day look like? What are you what's the main things that you're advising on? First and foremost, I, I and I. I've talked about it just a little bit ago, and I'm going to hit on it again as emergency cash money. Most people do not earmark it, or if they do, they integrate it with their normal income. But creating that 
emergency cash will save you from so many different downfalls in in the financial world. And on a on a day to day basis, if I'm if I have a client coming in, I could have I could have anything from you know a client that has you know a family farm with many many financial assets to a client that has not done so well necessarily and has a problem with budgeting their money. Yeah. They have problems with maybe credit card debt, things like that. And I, I, I work with and give advice to a range from any from anything that from that all the way up to, you know, the ultra wealthy or, or rich. And the advice is going to be different for every single client. Yeah. Um, first and foremost, my advice is centrally based off of that one client and our interactions and what I know about them. So our first meeting is generally an hour long discussion about them. And I just ask a few select questions. Uh, and But mostly my go-to is tell me more because I want to learn as much as I can because I'm helping them kind of pave the way of what their dreams look for maybe in the next 30 years, maybe it's in the next five. Yeah, you know, So everybody is a little bit different in that regards and how I'm going to work with them. But if I have one, like in the topic of us talking about this and that needs some credit help, generally one of the first things that I'm going through is, and, and I ask, you know, do you have credit card debt? Where is that credit card debt? How much? You know, all those things. So I can make an assessment if it's manageable or if it's not. And I would tell you 99% of the time I tell my clients, we want to try to get you free and clear of any credit card or any long-term debt before we get you into retirement. Yeah. Not that it can't be done and not that people don't do it. However, it, it's, it becomes harder and harder because you don't have income increases or you can't just hop one job and go to another one and increase your income overnight when you're on a fixed budget. So it's often hard for me to help them manage it if they're overspending and I don't get to kind of see a lot of those transactions. So if they're racking up a lo- bunch of credit card debt on the side, I may not be pervy until we have another discussion a year later. And now we didn't manage that, those finances and that budget very well mm-hmm. because we're having a long discussion about why we put money on credit cards. Yeah. So my, you know, kind of thinking about through that, I would also say, you know, be open and honest. I mean, you're not hurting anybody beside yourself if you're not being open and honest with whoever you're working with in that regard. I've had people come back and say, no, I don't have credit card debt. And then come to find out we've been working together for a little while and they come back and they say, oh, I forgot to tell you about this $25,000 that I have. Whoops, right? You, you don't get any of yeah. that, I'm sure, in, uh, in, the, in the mortgage industry or in the you know uh, real estate business at all, I'm sure. But yeah, so that's realistically, we just start by basically just listing everything out and, you know, having an open, honest discussion about how we can manage that better in the future. Yeah. And for everybody, that's going to be different. Yep. Are you, are you seeing younger people yeah. more often? Yeah. And that, that brightens my heart a lot, actually. Yeah. Because I tell everybody that comes into my client, if you have kids, one of the biggest and best things you can do for them to set them up for future success is having them meet with somebody like myself. And I'm not saying that to be ignorant, you know, a little cocky or anything yeah, like yeah. that. But if somebody had sat me down and said, hey, if you put 25 bucks a month away, you could be a millionaire by the time you're 50 or 60, you know, because you invested properly and you started increasing the contributions, the what along with your income as yeah. you grew, right? You can't buy time. You cannot buy time. Again, I go back to the what I just said a little while ago. Time is your biggest asset. Yep. I mean, and that's true in almost any scenario you can think of in yeah. life. Well, I asked that because I just read something the other day. It was more actually inclined to 
social media and to real estate agents and, and mortgage people about the content that they're putting out in that there's a study done that, that Gen Z is looking for information when they're coming on social media and they're actually thirsty for financial knowledge. And so I just, you know, especially being a financial advisor and I see that with younger people, I see them like, you know, it's crazy. Like even the young people that are getting into real estate investing, yeah, it's kind of not so much found loopholes, but they figured out how they can get into properties with very little money down yeah. and use the banks basically yeah. to be able to get themselves multiple properties. Yeah. Not that there's not some risk involved, but man, if you can start that most of the time when I have, when you're talking about investing in real estate, most of the people that I deal with that have finally done their first property or, or bought a couple, their biggest regret is not starting sooner yeah. and building equity and, and, uh, just through time, you know? Um, so that's good to hear that there's, you know, yeah. And being young and driven in that regards as well. You know, if you're looking for investment properties longer term and you know, it's something that you're willing to, you know, work for. I mean, you know, I mean, you're a young guy still and I mean, it pays off dividends long term. Mm -hmm. So why you got the energy, you know, I'm a little older now and I don't have quite as much energy as I once did. So thinking back, I I think of things like that. I wish I would have maybe bought into more investment properties and things like that, Mm -hmm. you know, but at the end of the day, you know, we all make our decisions and we kind of got to move from there. Yeah. But uh, you know, as far as, you know, I don't know much about investment properties per se. You're kind of the expert in that regards. But if you're looking for kind of a, you know, longer term type of investment, those are definitely ones that I've seen pan out very, very well. And that's how people create, you know, I told you generational wealth, but having those long term property and that generational wealth. I mean, I have so many clients that are farmers and things like that, that are looking to continue to pass this on. And it's just even for their own personal sake mm-hmm. is a great investment. Well, and if nothing else, having some diversity, and I'm sure you would agree with having some diversity in your portfolio, not having all your eggs in one basket. Absolutely. Um, you know, real estate's a great choice for, you know, not having your money all, you know, quote unquote in the stock market and having something. I mean, that's what I, what I like is that it's a tangible asset and that I can drive by and see it, you know, yeah. but I know that I'm, at least my belief is not I shouldn't have everything in that basket, oh, yeah. you know, and spread things out and make some other investment choices that are beneficial. Sure. And that's where you come into play. And Yeah. And that's no different than being a venture capitalist to a certain degree. As long as you have all the other things in line, you know, you have the emergency cash, you already have your serious long-term investments. Having a sleeve of you know, like I said, venture capitalism in there is not a bad deal. And I honestly, a lot of the sleeves that you will see at financial advisors office is real estate. And real estate isn't necessarily always the tangible real estate that you're talking about. It can be real estate investments where they buy into like bigger properties, you know, your strip malls, things like that. And they get paid long-term investments or long-term dividends. However, in in this regards, I mean, having a sleeve of that as a tangible asset is not any different than having it as an intangible one. And I would say, like you, I'm a very touchy-feely type of person. I want to go and see it and make sure that it's still there and it, you know, looks as pretty as the day I bought it. Yep. Yep, for sure. So back to the younger people, are you seeing a lot of student debt, student loan debt? Yeah, I'm actually seeing a lot of the reverse, which is really, I I think, kind of taught 
I was referring to earlier is that I've been seeing a lot more younger and younger individuals take their finances more seriously, meeting with somebody like myself, even though they may not have as much to dive into right away. They're starting to understand the importance earlier on of investing in themselves and investing in, you know, in a longer term goal, even Mm -hmm. if they don't have necessarily the true goal picked out, right? Which is always, always a good strategy. And and you you talked a little bit about social media and the younger generation looking for that instant gratification. Me and my wife talk about that all the time, you know, Mm -hmm. instant gratification. And I would say it has opened up a lot of discussions, which is never a bad idea, right? However, I'm sure just like in any industry, having a lot of information isn't necessarily the best route because it's not always true information. And just like I said earlier, meeting with a financial professional, they're going to take into account what is truly important to you as an individual, not a mom and dad, you know, not your siblings, not somebody that looks like you, truly you and what your credit history looks like, what your finances look like, your income, all of those things, and which is going to be truly important for the long term. But again, going back to the social media, you also have to keep in mind some of these people are entertainers. They're not there to truly inform you, right? But getting information is never a bad idea, but making sure you follow through with that and have a discussion with a professional that is in that business just to confirm those because it may not apply to you or it may be completely, you know, old information or, you know, something that necessarily isn't going to work out. Mm -hmm. I get that a lot. They heard something on TikTok or they heard something on, you know, Facebook about, yeah, exactly. They got this (laughs) clickbait going and, now they're asking questions about different investments, which is never bad because yeah. that leads into, okay, why are you considering or wanting to diversify the portfolio out even more, right? Yeah. So we can have discussions, but yeah. know that all on the, uh, as my parents used to tell me, everything you see on TV isn't true, right? Yeah. Everything you see on social media is not true either. Well, that's so, kind of funny because like I've had, I was just having a discussion with my grandfather the other day and we were talking about I can't remember exactly what we were talking about, but we were talking about even people that are 10 years younger than me, they don't know how to write a check. Right. And and I'm like, and like you would, you see a lot of older people basically would make fun of them for not knowing how to do that. Right. But I'm like, it's not really, to me, it's, if you first look at it, you're like, oh my God, that person doesn't even know how to do that. But at the same time, you're like, well, really... To me, it's it's not an intelligence thing. It's just they don't use them. It's a capacity thing. I mean, just like I, I talk to a lot of people about, or it comes up often, we never have to remember phone numbers ever again. No. I mean, it, aside from yours, Blake, tell me anybody in your phone right now whose phone number you got. I know the, only the ones that I had memorized. <laughs> I mean, don't say it on your contacts. I guess, of course. <laughs> and my wife. That's yeah, basically it. Yeah, but I know yeah, my right. wife, and I know my kids, and that is it. I think technology has helped us with the advan- advantage of being more able to capacity or, or compartmentalize our things, you know? So that's what I think technology has been a really good invention of. Mm-hmm. However, again, it's different. I wouldn't say it's an intelligence thing either. I know very, very smart people that can barely write their own name. Yeah. You know, yeah. doesn't mean that it's intelligent. It just means that they just have their capacity focused elsewhere. Yeah. A lot of times. Yep. yep. Well, Dave, I wanted to I wanted to give you a chance to plug your nonprofit and oh, yeah. kind of tell that story a little bit. So please, please share so people know about your nonprofit, what you guys are doing. I think it's pretty exciting, and you, 
you've seen to, seem to really gained a lot of traction, especially after your walk here in the last month or so. Yeah, no, um, but thank you very much. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of you. Yeah, so our nonprofit, me and my wife uh, Cassie, established that two years ago. It's called Sail On and Fly High. Our main focus is to bring awareness around mental health and really drive the resources to our community here in Council Bluffs. We've done that a lot already over the last couple of years, just being fresh and new. Uh, We started the first ever, or we were a part of the first ever mental health awareness event last year, which spiraled into us being on the board and helping out again this year. And, And we were the sponsor, primary sponsor for both of those events. The other things that we've done is we've given out comm kits uh, to a lot of the teen youth groups that are around as a way to for them to kind of deal with their day-to-day stress and trauma. We've also set up and sponsored for first responders to do what they call QPR training, which is kind of the, I would say, like the CPR for mental health episodes. So if somebody is a, really having you know a mental breakdown, some things that you can potentially do to kind of get them to relax and maybe get the best referral out to them on who they need to go seek. But QPR, it stands for uh, question, uh, 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 persuade, and then refer. So you question the person, you persuade them to seek help and refer them to somebody that you trust to work with them. But yeah, I certainly, you know, we have a lot of big goals here in Council Bluffs. You know, we're really trying to wrap around our community and our community is wrapped around us and really kind of held us up over the the tragedy of losing my son Sailor in on March 16th, uh, 2020. And, you know, it really has been an eye-opening experience. And, uh, you know, I really, me and my wife just knew through all of the, through all of the thick and thin of everything that we had to give back in some way, shape, or form. And this is this is just our way of doing that. Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i definitely, you know, on the outside looking in, and I would say that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's one of those issues that you probably don't take as seriously until you have to deal with it. Yeah, and that's, that's the hard part is that, hey, there's such a stigma around mental health to begin with, you know. Um, people are sometimes paralyzed in fear of their own mental health because they don't want to seek that because there's a stigma associated with it. But also the fact that not only is there not a lot of professionals around, you know, the wait list can be daunting, you know, and on top of all of that, then you have to deal with insurance and all the stuff that people hate dealing with, you know. So what we've really tried to focus in on, what things can we do that are easily simple and repeatable to get out to the community so that they can find the help that they need. So, and that's really, you know, what we try to center our focus in on. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you're doing a great job. I, it's been a pleasure getting to know you better than the last, I don't know, six, seven, eight months. Maybe it's been longer than that, yeah. a year maybe. But you guys, I, I see everything that you guys are doing, you know, outside of your your uh, daily work life, you know, with your nonprofit. And so I appreciate you coming in today and talking about that. And if you have questions for Dave, where can we find you? You can find me. The easiest way is just to give us a call at the office, 712-322-9500. I'm off of North 16th Street there, right in front of the uh, Walmart, so where the old Hy-Vee strip mall used to be. Yep. So stop in, give us a ring. Uh, I'm also on Facebook. Uh, and uh, you can certainly reach out or private message me on there. Cool. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate your time. Thanks so much.